My name's Tim Freak, and I'm a philosopher, which really simply means that I'm someone who finds this experience of being alive that we're having profoundly mysterious. And in the course of my life, I get to enjoy a lot of very deep conversations with some amazing people. And the idea behind this series is simply to authentically capture some of those real conversations in case you may enjoy listening to them as well. So, Mark, here we are, uh, two human beings, different ages, in this place. And I want to start us off in this conversation by just asking you this kind of question which is so big it's kind of absurd I guess but it's the question for me what, what is this experience we're having what the hell is it hmm. and I'm wondering what you've made of it so far I think the more I learn the more I feel like I really don't know what this experience is so when I ask myself that question which I think I ask myself multiple times a day <laughs> if not more I, what I can know is that at this moment, I have the experience of experiencing something and I have thoughts usually about the past or the future. From there, I think there are lots of inferences that I'm still trying to dig into. Um, I can, I guess where I kind of come out in general on what all this is, and this is not something I know for sure, is that I, I do think there, there seems to be kind of an evolutionary aspect to consciousness and that I have an individual experience, but that individual experience is part of something much bigger. So I'll leave it there to start. Well, I certainly resonate. I certainly resonate with that. Maybe, maybe, Maybe it would be it would be helpful to ask you to say a little bit about your own journey to that place as well to get to, just as a as a context because I know your your story seems like a really interesting one, and and w when you say you're now you're asking this question multiple times a day, um, which I relate to but not everyone does. Why are you doing that? Well, for me, the journey started at least on this path of really asking questions about consciousness in August of 2016, and I was listening to podcasts that kind of touched on these topics um, kind of by chance. I was listening to health and business podcasts. My background is in business. I worked in investment banking in New York when I graduated from Princeton, and then I, for the last nearly 10 years, have been working in Silicon Valley, um, advising tech companies on intellectual property and business strategy. So that's my background really on the surface, nothing to do with consciousness and, and my business background doesn't really relate to it. In undergrad, I studied psychology, but it was more focused on economics. So I wrote my thesis on behavioral economics and how people make decisions. And I wasn't looking at the big existential questions, although I think I've always had questions. And the answers I used to get before I began this journey in 2016 were very nihilistic answers. That life doesn't have any meaning, when we die, it's over. There's no consciousness after the body dies. There's a me and a you, and we're fundamentally separate. There's no meaning to life. The universe is just random. So if I ask that, those questions I'm asking myself multiple times a day, the answer I would have given a few years ago was, 
what is this? Some something I'm I'm just I'm just experiencing because of chemical reactions in my so, brain. So at that time, were you asking those questions at that time, or were you just not asking the question? Good question. I think I was still asking the question, but not as often because I thought the answer was known. That so science was teaching us there was no meaning. Not an answer you want to hear. So don't ask the question. I wasn't as I wasn't judging the answer. Okay. I, the answer was what it was, and I wasn't okay. going to fight it. I wasn't going to try okay. to say I don't like the way the implications. I just thought those were the implications, and there's no meaning to life. That's okay. where I used to be. Yeah. And and what happened? It was kind of a gradual process. So it wasn't overnight. It wasn't like I had a near-death experience or anything like that. My process has been much more intellectual, I'd say, than experiential. Okay. I was listening to podcasts and I first heard of the topics around consciousness. It was a woman who talked about psychic phenomena and her own psychic abilities on a health show. So I wasn't looking for this. And then I ended up listening to more podcasts after hearing that episode. And after a month of kind of listening to a lot of people describe a similar picture of reality, I became curious because it was describing a picture that was not familiar to me. It wasn't in alignment with my educational background. And after that, I began to read books and spent a year basically obsessively researching after those initial podcasts where all I wanted to do was research these topics of consciousness because I was being exposed to kind of realms beyond the materialist paradigm. And the more I researched, the more I realized that I had to rethink everything. And so was it that encounter with the, the kind of paranormal, the, the things which are outside the normal, was that the thing that sort of triggered you into like, well, hang on, what actually, what is this? I think it was a combination of things. One was uh, evidence for a number of anomalies, anomalies under the materialist paradigm, which some might call paranormal phenomena. So I saw there was real scientific evidence for that. And then more broadly, people who had personal experiences speaking about uh, just a view of reality that was much bigger than the one that I had heard. So it was kind of this combination of anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence that was pushing me in a new direction. And I just had to explore it. You said you came to one of my things in sand at one point as well. Is that right? I did. And yeah. so I, I heard of sand um, probably in 2017. So I, I can't right. remember if it was 2017 or 2018 when I came to right. one of your workshops. I loved How it. Funny. How funny. So, so was there just, I'm just curious. First of all, actually, what I have to do just in parenthesis as me and all the guy and all the rest of it is to say well done for taking the sensible route and going through studying economics and all that sensible stuff first and then coming to consciousness because <laughs> that's a much that's a much better route than to coming straight in i tell you so that's i think that's a wise move i i a lot of my mentors on my journey people like uh ram das and, and alan watts and people like that they were all well-established people who'd done stuff in the world before they woke up, <laughs> which was a lot easier than I think for me and uh, many of my generation who woke up really early and therefore found the world a constant mystery and, a, and, and the world a kind of this strange, what the hell's all of that. So, I mean, it's, I think it's great that you're kind of doing that. You're in Silicon Valley because that means you're engaged right from the start. And that, that feels like a really, really good thing to me. Um, yeah, I, I think it has advantages, but it's also been extremely disorienting to have this perspective of reality that it's so different from my peers. So is and that, think, is that, God, there's so many things I want to ask you at once. Is that, is that, so is that, um, is that, 
how you know silicon valley i live in somerset in the middle of nowhere in a little town called glastonbury you know a little hippie town really um when i think of silicon valley i imagine cutting edge thinking and people on the edge and like new ideas and people thinking the whole thing's a computer simulation and all sorts of nutty stuff and 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 it, so are they kind of close to it or is that like is there an openness to how, how really, close is it it really depends on who i talk to okay in silicon valley there are lots of engineers who like to see uh, scientific data and evidence so when i have conversations with them about the paranormal their initial instinct is to be very skeptical but right. then if when we talk about the scientific evidence and statistics that's when they get really interested yeah so there yeah. is some of that yeah and i guess that's good so was there something in particular for you that when you with the the, the stuff i mean i've got i'm going to give you a plug on a book i don't know i don't do that normally but i want to support you. you it's a it's a it's a great compendium i think what you've done is you know i it's been a while since I've kind of gone into that area, if I'm honest. Um, it's something I was immersed in probably when I was about your age, probably. And uh, so a while back now. And, and so I haven't seen a really good companion. Of all, and, it's, and it's a great experience when you read it one after the other. You just go, wow, this is like, there's this and there's this and there's this. And by the end, you're like, oh, I surrender. This is, you know, this, I mean, I know it, but it's like, it's good to be reminded of just how strange what we're in is because the the dominant mindset can seep in when you're not looking in fact you know just as an aside i mean i would say that what motivated me to develop the new philosophy that i've been exploring over the last period of my my work had been to resist that philosophy has been to say look i need a rational way of understanding this which fits with science and which can accommodate this but which allows for all of this and without that you know it just seeps in doesn't it yeah. I mean, it's easy for our perceptual systems to show us a picture of reality and for us to buy into that. And it takes some intellectual steps, at least for me, to question what I'm perceiving and to ask, is there more out there? Especially after having looked at all the scientific evidence, it makes me question everything that I perceive now. And was there something in particular or is there now something in particular that really kind of like you know, your favorite, favorite crazy fact, you know, the, the experience? Or I think time is, is a is a topic that I think about a lot. And the more I think about it, the more I, I really don't understand it. So that's an interesting one. Let's play with that for a bit. I, time is absolutely central to me. So, so my, my, what was of interest to me was that the compendium of facts that you had collated was just fantastic. And the way that you were coming to understand them was exactly what I'd expressed or coming from the similar place and, and all the people you were relating with. You know, if we'd been having this conversation, um, you know, 10 years ago, maybe less, I would be definitely going, yeah, we're on exactly the same page. And then what's happened for me is I've moved and I'm in process really right now of, of doing a, a might, I think it might be a book or it might be a something, a film or something on what is consciousness, mm. criticizing myself because I feel like I was wrong. And central to the view that I'm now exploring is the reality of time, is, that, is, is actually that time is central to understanding what reality, about the nature of existence is even though I think that we need to understand all these anomalies, which you point out to, 
point out, you know, I, I think it's a really important thing to do. I'm just not so sure. I think the place which we, where I sent the note, to, I sent a note to Rick Archer. We were connected through Rick Archer, the uh, guy who, lovely man, I love him to bits, who, ran, who runs a Buddha at the gas pump. And he told me, oh, you should meet Mark. And when I get a recommendation from, from Rick, I take notice, you know, brilliant young man and all this, um, which turned out to be true. And, the, uh, and then he sent me some stuff that you'd said, and I, because I'm doubting that because it's my past, I sent back some rude note going, oh, I don't know, I'm not sure about this stuff anymore. <laughs> and he sent it on to you. And, we, <laughs> and I had to apologize in case I'd been rude. And, uh, and here we are sort of connecting about it so we can get the chance to talk about it together um i would love to all right well so we start so there's two things i think then that the, i'd love to get your reaction on one is it, the 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 fundamental that there's a fundamental reality in our experience to time that there is a flow on not, i'm not and i'm not talking about time as something we're measuring or something which is, can be measured at moving at different rates, calling to relativity and all that. But simply that there's a phenomenological reality to one thing follows another. And that even if we have premonitions or we go, we think, you know, put, put it like this, if we were to go back in time, we wouldn't have, for instance, because mm -hmm. it would still be the next thing that happens. And that there is always the next thing that happens. And in that way, there's a fundamental outpouring of, in fact, everything is time. I, 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 I could look around me. I, I think, well, there's nothing but time. There's no things. Everything's a process. I'm a process. You're a process. The microphone's a process. So there's a fundamental nature to time. Hmm. Maybe we should start with def our definitions of time. Okay. How would you define it? As that. One thing after another, uh, that okay. there is a that there is a there is a flow, there that 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 the, there is nothing that existence is not a a static thing, that mm -hmm. the, and well, I'd actually go further. I'd go look if I look at this that the what the moment is is time, and it has two qualities to it. There's something which is, which is, witnessing this which doesn't change, and then there's a flow of change. And that flow of change is time. And it's all, every experience is that. There, and it would be impossible for there to be anything experienced but that. Right. So I would agree that we, that that is the way reality is perceived. It's perceived as a flow and a sequence of events. That's our interpretation of how reality works. And I guess what I have been trying to do is question whether those perceptions are the actual nature of reality and if so, how that would inform how we think about life. And maybe the answer is reality isn't exactly like that, but we perceive it that way. And therefore, that's how we experience it. And that's kind of just what matters. Okay, so, so it feels to me there's something, and I, and I may be wrong here in the way that I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to project onto you what I've heard from other people because then maybe okay. you have your own take. So if I do that, I apologize in advance. My concern is that when we talk about a reality as it actually is mm -hmm. we have carried over reductionism into our inquiry because that's what reductionism is doing reductionism is going you think this is reality but really it's this and it takes it to something more primitive mm -hmm. and goes it's really that 
and that you just think it's this. This is an illusion. I've done it myself. You know, this is really empty space. 99.99999% empty space. That's what it really is. I'm less inclined to say that now. I'm more inclined to say that's what it is on a less emergent level. But on this level of emergence, it's this. And that's what's so miraculous about it. So mm -hmm. it feels like our experience of what it is, is it. And that there may be other ways we need to understand it. Like I think we can understand it as information, for instance, and things like that. But it's in, at this level of, of experience, this level of merger of, of the evolutionary emergence, it's experienced like this. And that therefore it's not like there's something beyond us, which is really there. And we have it as time. It's like, no, time's it. There is a flow of evolving form. That's what, there's a formless presence and a flow of evolving form. You know, I, I don't, I don't, so I don't know what it means to say, is yeah, that thought, is it reduction? Yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. I think each of us perhaps has a different experience of experiencing or time, as you call it, or the unfoldment. And it's interesting for me to look at people who have reached states what, of what one might call enlightenment and the way they describe their experience of time and life versus how I experience it. And what and there, do you mean by that? There are differences. So the way that, that someone who we might call enlightened experiences it. I wouldn't call anyone that, enlightened, so you have to tell me. Yeah. Well, some, let's say a person who feels like they've really transcended their individual identity or claims to have had that experience. I know a lot of them. It's interesting for me to, to hear what those people have to say because I have not had that experience personally. Right, right. And their experience is sort of that they, they are not an individual almost and that there is no time in yeah. their experience. Whereas in my experience, I do, I do feel sequence. I feel a sense of individuality and yeah. I feel a sense of separation, even though. So I would suggest to you, Mark, that you are right. And that they are completely, they're just, that having been around all of this now for 50 years, pretty much since I first started when I was 12, and meeting a lot of the people you're talking about. I think there's, well, obviously, I'm not saying people are dis being deceptive, although some people are. Mm. But I don't think that the people are, very, are, are necessarily very good at being able to communicate or interpret their experiences. Mm. And I think people end up saying things which sound like they're amazing because they don't make any sense, and actually they just don't make any sense. And that when you push it hard, it's not what you think. Uh, so for me, having come through whatever it was 20 years ago, the Advaita non-dual thing, I now see it quite negatively. I see it as a regressive philosophy. I don't think it's, uh, I think the idea of the enlightenment it leads to is one thing you can experience. I certainly don't think it's timeless. I mean, even, I mean, it's just like to say, I experience no time takes time. I, to say, I doubt there is time takes time to say I experienced the timeless. Now, the fact is, I think actually we can all experience the timeless right, right now. But I think we experience the timeless through time. So when I said, look, what I'm aware of is that there is a presence, it's a formless presence witnessing this of, of being. And there's a flow of time, which is why the moment has two qualities. One, it always now, because it's timeless. And the other is it's always changing because it's time. 
And what I see is that in what I call monological thinking, people go for one or the other as real. But what I'm playing with is what I call paralogical thinking, which is say, actually, aren't they both real? Isn't there a formlessness arising as form? And isn't that actually what we're describing here? And that, we exp- and that for there to be experience, there must be something to be experienced. And that's yeah, time. I, and yeah, change. I, and change. I think part of the difficulty of having this conversation is, is language. Okay. The limitations of of using words to describe things that might not be describable, at least in a one hundred percent accurate way, using language. And I'm I'm reminded of of my research into near death experiences. Yeah. And when people come back and they have a vivid experience and they say, "I can't really use words to explain what happened," or they have a life review, for example, their entire life flashes before them in a, what appears to be a short amount of time. They relive events through the eyes of other people, and that's their whole life in what, a, what would not appear to be the, the, life, the time span of a whole life. So how do, we, how do we think about time when those types of experiences are reported? And this is where I, when I, the deeper I go, the more confused I get. And then I just kind of maybe come back to where you are, which is I'm here having the, the experience of sequence and that's about the best I can do. You know, I think there's more we can do than that. I think there's a lot more we can do than that. I think that's just where we start. Okay. And, and what is interesting about the life review is that it is still, it's a life review. So you, it's, although, although obviously, you know, certain, you know, I definitely experience can go and all sorts of stuff can happen. There's no doubt about that. And, and, uh, and, and all experiences are really hard to describe, aren't they? Unless you know what they are. So words can only ever be a tool to point us to something we both know what it is. But if it's, if, you know, if I say to you, have you ever tasted a clamata bar? You don't know what that is. So you don't know if to answer yes or no, you know, and, and so words can, so, and I feel like that with the experiences. So I'm sure if two people who had a life review were talking to each other, they might find it much easier to go, Oh, you know what I mean? When they, you know, so it's that commonality of experience, which always means it's out of touch with the words in some way. But even there, their life, they, here's another thing about time, which, which strikes me. And I, 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 I'm not saying withdraw into, oh, just come back into the moment and just go, look, this is a common sense thing. I actually, it's more than that. I'm going, look, this, is, this feels to me a key to, to beginning to understand the very nature of the reality we're in, which is that the fundamental observation around time that I have is there is a flow. And each moment realizes a new potentiality that's never happened before. So this flow is the realization of potentiality. There's something formless, and then there's a flow of the realization of potentiality. And each moment contains within it implicitly everything that's ever happened previously. Because if it didn't, you know, if it wasn't for Rick having connected us, if it wasn't for you having done that research, me getting your book and reading your book and thinking, this is great, and wanting to connect with you and everything, but not just that, but human beings evolving, language happening, the Big Bang, the sun arising, everything is implicit in this moment. And that feels really significant for me, that there's an accumulation of the past and that when you die, there it all is. And you, you know, it's like, what? It's there. Of course it's there. Because it hasn't gone anywhere. 
and that there's something there fundamental about the nature of what we're in that there's the realization of new potentiality which is based on and transcends and includes that everything that's been realized before it sounds a bit like some of the theories on holography and the fractal nature of the universe where everything is kind of contained within the the pieces are contained within the whole yeah a bit like that i mean i think that's another interesting kind of thing i i, I i'm i'm i find that harder to i mean i, I love it's a lovely image the hologram image um but 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 the thing which i'm pointing to here is more about just straightforwardly the accumulation of of the past and the reality of the past so here i'm mimicking things i'm picking up things from rupert sheldrake say and um uh, purse the charles sanders purse in the states in the last century and and uh, lee smolin at the moment as well the physicist but there's a for me it, it's cut not come through them because it's come through just my own s- studies of the moment which is primarily what i do and but it, it feels it feels like something important there in all with and and then you said at the beginning this kind of evolutionary process the evolution of consciousness maybe we should get under consciousness what do you mean by consciousness mm. well that's another one where i think i think language does a poor job of, of of defining it but the way i think about it subjectively is the experience of having an experience so when i say that i'm speaking to you that i that sense of being is what i mean by consciousness okay so the i Okay, so so one of the things that I've been looking at and I'm trying to get clear on is it feels that very often when we talk about consciousness in our culture, we actually mean two completely opposite things at the same time. And we slip between them without realizing we're doing it. And that sometimes by consciousness, we mean what we're conscious of. And sometimes we mean what you mean, the ineffable I. And so, for instance, in psychology, I don't think he even got the idea of the ineffable eye. <laughs> Spirituality has got that. In psychology, it's much more to do with that you are, what you're experiencing. This is consciousness. Look, you're, this is consciousness. And then in spirituality, it has that too. And then it slips into this other meaning where it's this, what I said, a formless presence that would be described in spirituality as, as consciousness. Um, and that's an interesting kind of... And my sense with the book is that you were looking for this philosophy because you felt it could account for these anomalies. Exactly. For me, it started with anomalies. And then, it, then I began to question the existing materialist paradigm and look for another one that could account for those anomalies as kind of a starting point. And the one that I, I use is from Dr. Bernardo Castrop, the whirlpool yeah. analogy, the idea that we are all whirlpools in a stream of consciousness all of the water is consciousness, but we have individuated self-localized experiences within a whirlpool. But all of the water is consciousness. I'm so pleased you've brought up that analogy because I want you to explain it to me. What does it mean? I think it's we, a way it's to all, account. It's all consciousness. So, what's con- so consciousness is not the witness now. It is the, that which experiences. So the, the that which is experiencing has got this other element which is causing a whirlpool. What's that other element? I would say it's a modulation of itself in order to have a 
a localized experience. So there's the experience of Mark and the experience of Tim, but that's a localization of the consciousness. And then in certain situations, like a near-death experience, when the physiology is, is kind of basically gotten out of the way, the brain's knocked out, then the broader stream is, is experienced. Whereas typically when the physiology is functional, that is not experienced. Experience by what? By the subjective nature of the water itself. That one of the qualities of the water throughout the stream is that it experiences. So, so one of the problems I had with, with, with that bit of Bernardo's thought was it felt like I, and, and, and I haven't studied Bernardo in, in, in enough depth. I'm not putting this on him. It's, it could be me. But it felt like, especially around death, you needed there to explain near-death experiences, for instance, which I really want to be able to do, central to what I'm working on. It feels like, well, you need a theory of identity. It's all right to say, well, there's a field of consciousness in your whirlpool, and then the whirlpool ends and you're still all there. But in what way are you there that allows you to have a life with you, that you're still you? What is the you? It's like, it's like the oneness is easy. What's the individuality in this theory? Where does that come from? And what maintains that after death? What's the, the what's the theory of identity that means it's, it's a continuation of something and what is the something it's continuing? Well, the way Castro describes it is, is that it's one consciousness having dissociative identity disorder and the mechanism behind that dissociation, I, I don't know exactly how it works. But My theory the, is that there's some kind of layering of, of individuation that occurs and the whirlpool is a one way to think about it, but it's probably more layered than that because as you say, there's a, there's the sense of individuality right now while I'm alive in a body. And then when the body dies, there seems to be a sense of individuation there as well in some cases. Although Dr. Eben Alexander described being a speck of awareness where he didn't really have a sense of himself in his near-death experience. Um, so there, there are questions about where, that, where the individuality uh, starts and stops in this process. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't, I, I, it's kind of tricky because I want to, I want to converse with you about so many things, but it's, it's like the place I want to, to want to go is so different uh, in how it accounts for this. Um, but I don't want to just sort of lead us off on a tangent and just end up just telling you my, Hey, let me tell you my theories. Um, uh, uh, so for me, so it feels so, So the, the account of identity that arises from the stuff about time, let's just latch it onto something we've already talked about. For me, is like, if the universe is made of time, if it's the accumulation of everything that's ever happened, and that is creating the patterns and the algorithms and what uh, Charles Sanders Pierce called the habits of nature, the, what we generally call the laws of nature, everything that's happening is... is is working on what's already happened. Hence me doing this, which I endlessly do with my hands because that's the way that Tim does things. And I speak with this accent, you speak with that accent. I'm a human body, the table isn't, all of that. Then identity, I think we can start to get an idea that what the evolutionary process that you talked about at the beginning could be is a process of this unfolding of realization on ever more emergent levels. And it's ever more emergent because it keeps accumulating. So it keeps getting retro, and that's got us from hydrogen 
to you and me having this conversation about the nature of reality. And what then does that make? That makes everything made of time. And then who are you and I? Well, we're, we're, we're streams of time. We're everything we've ever been. That's what we are. So that if we survive death, if we exist on this level, I mean, it, it, again, it just feels like, look, I, it, clearly I exist on two levels as an individual. There's a body here, busily getting old. And then there's this other thing I'm experiencing, the psyche or the soul or the mind or whatever name you give to it, the imagination, which is not physical. It's not made of matter. I'm experiencing it right now. And it's where all the meaning of these words exist. And that's where we, you and I are really meeting. While our bodies are sitting in rooms talking on the internet. We're really meeting in this non-local place of the, the soul. So the death thing becomes for me, it becomes like, oh, so the question is when the body dies, which it will, and this experience the body's having of sensation, when that stops, does the experience my psyche's having of imagination stop or not? And I, like you, I think it does not stop. And I think my own personal evidence and all the evidence that you've accumulated, I mean, the hundreds of thousands of near-death experiences. But is the reason for, but, 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 so what I'm, what, but the identity that continues, let's just stick with that, it feels like, well, that's because it, what continues is ev I'm everything I've ever been. So no surprise that when I step into the imagination, I will have a life review, which is seeing everything I've ever been. I will have fantastic, glorious dreams and visions. I will be able to exist in that realm with much more vividness. That, that feels like uh, an interesting, I've said too much. Tell me what you think. Well, I, I think the challenge in looking at near-death experiences is that we only have a certain amount of time uh, post-death. If we say that this is a kind of near-death experience is an actual mimicking of what happens when you do die, we're limited in what we see because the person comes back. There's usually some kind of a tunnel and then there's a decision to come back into the body. And at that point, there's typically a still a sense of individuation. What happens after that point if they had a longer amount of time? That is still a question for me what happens well after the person physically dies um i don't think we know that certainly not from near-death experiences we don't not from near-death experiences people can have claims of um you know those who are in communication with other realms or claim to have those kinds of communications and yeah. channeling they yeah. bring in information about that but it's very difficult to validate I, and I'm, I'm with you one should be very careful and very skeptical <laughs> about everything everything so one of the, so 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 one of the things which uh, um, okay consciousness let 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 let's let's go for consciousness so uh, I, one of the things which which I said in the email so we should definitely mention it in this conversation it would be a shame not to was that I had gone from twenty books more written on the idea that consciousness was fundamental to see to no longer thinking that um but but i so no longer feeling like either the materialist paradigm or what i call the old idea you know the old religious idea idealism which is a you know very old thing which is being it's being presented as the new paradigm but it just feels like it really isn't to me it feels like it's the old paradigm and so the new one's not working the materialism one doesn't work and so it's like, well, go back to the old one. <laughs> Whereas it feels like, well, I think there's a new one. 
And I think the new one is based on this really revolutionary understanding that we now have of evolution. For the first time ever, we can look at this process we're in as having been 13 billion years of increased realization, complexity. And through that, what's happened is that there's a fundamental can I just tell, share this with you? I'm going to share it sure. with you just and I, I have, because it's, it's quite a lot, but I don't want to do it too much and just get your reaction. So look, it feels like, look, in that process of time unfolding, of realization, the flow of form arising from the formless potentiality, things have individuated. They've taken on characteristics, something which is pure being, not consciousness because it doesn't have any qualities. That's the point. If we put consciousness at the beginning, we've, given, we've, just, we've just done the old God trick. We've just gone, oh, there's something at the beginning and it knows itself. How? What? Where did that come from? But if we say, look, there's formless potentiality, that, we, that feels like, well, the universe must have come from the potential from the universe because it came from it. So that formless potentiality is realizing itself. And through that process, it's clearly been individuating into individual qualities, which form into integral wholes. And once you have an integral whole, whether it's a quark or an atom or a plant or a human being, it has a relationship then with the whole. The, part, the, the, the potentiality has arisen as individuals in relationship with the whole. And that relationship with the whole is subjectivity and objectivity. There's a subjective relationship of an atom with the universe. And that are just like me. I have a subject relationship with the universe. And that the evolutionary process will, will be both objective and subjective alongside each other. And that what will happen at a certain point, and I can go into this why, why I think and what is happening, but just stay with this for the moment, was that, is, is that that subjectivity will increase until we can, it becomes conscious. Conscious first of sensation, and then imagination. So that consciousness is, as it does appear to be, a highly emergent quality of the realization of potentiality, rather than there from the beginning and what it's all based on. So I wonder if there's some compa compatibility there with what you're saying and what I've been saying, and I think maybe we should just go to the definitions of, of okay. what does it mean for conscious to, consciousness to be fundamental? What do people mean by idealism? Yeah. One of the things that has appealed to me about this consciousness-centric framework, as we said before, is that it can account for the anomalies that we see in science, whether they're psychic phenomena or survival of bodily death phenomena. Something that puts consciousness beyond the body can account for those phenomena. What is it? <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> okay. I think, I think that that framework, how about this? It's a more suitable framework than materialism. It is. certainly sounds better than materialism, that's for sure. To be able to account for them. Yeah. Something like that can account for them. What exactly it is, I don't know, but something that puts consciousness in a new place. One of the things that has appealed to me about Dr. Kastrup's work is that it appeals to the skepticism in me, which is that we cannot verify the existence of anything outside of consciousness or experience. So to say that something existed beyond consciousness is definitely possible, but unverifiable. And the, the parsimonious... The most parsimonious way to look at anything would be to look within consciousness because it requires the least amount of, of uh, 
basically assumptions in order to explain phenomena. So my question to you would be, is there some degree of awareness behind the potentiality that you're speaking of? Or is it completely awareness, like, devoid of awareness? Okay. Or some quality of consciousness. So um, I would say the, 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 the problem with taking any quality and putting it at the beginning is you've just taken something and plonked it there. I mean, if, you know, the big thing was God, and then we went, no, we can't do that anymore. And then you've, we've still got the kind of more uh, mystical Eastern view, or we'll put consciousness there. There's, a, there's something which is really God it ends up with intelligence. Often it's like, it, and, and my problem with it is simply that it looks to me like the most emergent qualities come last, not first. And, and the other thing I want to want to question is this, because, because I've, you know, I, you could go back to one of my books. I'm thinking of my book, Lucid Living, which I th think is one of my best books from 20 years ago. And you could find me saying exactly what you've just said. Not quite, not quite as extreme. But here's what worries me about it, Mark. It feels like this, it's kind of a present moment solipsism. It, and it feels like no matter how we try and get away from it, you can't, if you're going, we can't know anything beyond consciousness. But you, but, and by what do you mean by that? Well, consciousness, and you're using that word, just to point it out to you, you're no longer meaning the presence. I mean the stream, the whole stream. So now you're talking about the experience. So we've just yeah. flipped to the other meaning now, just to yeah. keep us aware of that we end up doing that. Yes. Um, it's good, good to see. Um, is that it, what, all that we're really saying is you can never experience something you're not experiencing, which is just obviously a truism. Because what, what it seems to me is that, you know, it sounds right, but the very first thing that you and I learned as children, very young, was that there is things that we're not experiencing. That, that, you know, peekaboo works with kids and they think it's really funny because they don't, they, you disappear. And then at quite an early age, they realize you don't disappear. They, you just disappear from their experience. And that my kitchen is still waiting outside the office, even though I'm not conscious of it. And my wife, even though I'm not conscious of her. And that to not, and can I prove that now? No. Can I prove that there, the past exists? No, except this sentence would make no sense if it didn't. And I wouldn't be able to speak if, I, if, there, if there wasn't. So there's the kind of obviousness which goes, you can't experience anything you're not experiencing. You can't experience anything outside of what you're conscious of. Yeah. But to go further and go, that's all that exists and you can't prove it otherwise, feels to me the most, almost now to me, almost like a childish argument. So it feels like, no, the very first thing we learn is that there is. And that when I finish this conversation, you will still exist, as will America, and will everything else. What I mean is at the level of the stream, that nothing, that we cannot verify the existence of anything outside of the stream. So what's outside in your of the stream? The stream of, of kind of the one big consciousness of which we are whirlpools, to use Castrop's analogy. Okay, but you've just, you've just, you've just used the, the assumptions of the philosophy to prove the philosophy. You've just said we can't, there's one big thing and it's all, well, but that's the question, is there? Is that the best way to see it? Right, so basically you're asking, so I'm you're, saying you're looking actually, at solipsism. So is it true that we can't know anything outside consciousness? Well, I think, yeah, of course we can. And if we didn't, we'd be completely lost. We can, because I'm only ever conscious of the moment and I, 
I'm completely confident at the time because nothing would possibly make sense otherwise. And I'm confident that, what I, that, that things I don't experience still exist. I'm not denying that. Okay. So doesn't that collapse Castro, Castro's argument? And, and, and Rupert Spira makes the same argument a lot. And I've made it. You know, it's, it's criticisms of me, really. Well, I think all of those other things you're describing are still within the one reality or the one stream, but maybe not within the perception of Tim. Okay, but can you see, Mark, that in doing what you've just said, you may be right, but you've assumed the philosophy to prove itself. Because the argument was, look, it's all in consciousness because nothing exists outside consciousness. Right. So, but that argument has to be... It, it doesn't work as an argument for idealism. It just doesn't, it can't work. Or it can work, but only if you're a present moment solipsist. So the, the inference that's required, one of the inferences that's required is to say that I can, it's true that I can't validate anything beyond my personal experience. I can't technically verify anything. I can't even verify that you're conscious. But given that I'm conscious and that I see the way you're acting and I see the way others are acting and it's very similar to my conscious experience without any evidence to say that you're not conscious. It would be foolish for me to not assume that you guys are also conscious too. I'm with you. Right? I agree completely. Right. So I'm not a solipsist and that's, that's not yeah. what I'm, uh, I'm arguing. But, but, but your argument is solipsistic, isn't it? Or not your argument, but the argument you're sharing. The argument that's, that's being isn't, made. Isn't it, is, is, is that, as I understand it, it is, it is go, the, 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 argue, the argument which gets repeated a lot is, have you ever experienced anything outside your consciousness? Therefore, everything exists in consciousness. That seems to be the argument. But that's actually, that can only lead to present moment solipsism. And all it really says is, have you ever experienced anything you weren't experiencing? And the answer is no. <laughs> but from that, I inference the fact that there's lots that exists that I'm not experiencing. And from that, I jump to the conclusion quite reasonably, there's lots to, that, that exist that I'll never experience. And that I'm experiencing some part of something multidimensional and huge. And it doesn't exist within my consciousness. So there's no argument to say that it exists within a consciousness. It exists within something, but that it's a consciousness. Why would you go there? Yeah, I think, I think this is, we're running into the challenge of, of explaining, trying to explain subjectivity with language again. And that's where, I'm, that's where I'm getting caught up. Okay. Okay. I think what we're doing is we're looking at, for me, what I'm looking at is what, what's not working about these old spiritual models. And the place I've ended up is, is like, it's wanting to go, look, there's, there's what we can, what, what we know from science is that there's an emergent process, which has led us from, you know, nothing to this. And during that, it's become more and more objectively rich and more and more subjectively rich. And part of that is becoming conscious. And when I look at consciousness, it feels now to me like something quite different. I look at my actual experience and I go, what I'm conscious of is what I pay attention to. And then I'm unconsciously experiencing a huge amount. 
And I know that because it wakes me up in the morning when the alarm goes off, if I have one. And I'm not conscious. And then it wakes me up because I hear it unconsciously and then I wake up. Mm -hmm. And right now I'm conscious of you. And I'm not conscious of what's behind me. I'm not conscious of the garden, although I am now because I'm thinking about it, or my wife, although I did earlier when I mentioned her. And the consciousness, like Jung says, is like a thing which is floating on the top. It's like the peak of subjectivity on this huge wadge of unconscious subjectivity, both in the body and in the soul, in the psyche. Mm -hmm. There's this focus where things become like this. And that's what it looks like consciousness is to me, which is why, by the way, I think that you can go into states where there's no self, but the self is still there. You're just not conscious of it. And then you can come back to the self and you're not conscious of those. And you can learn to move between them. It's what I've spent the last 20 years doing. Right. And so, so, and, and, and so it's more of a focus of subjectivity than it is the ground of everything. Well, that's, that's not incompatible with the stream analogy, at least in part, in that there's a localization of experience experiencing what you're describing as sort of like the tip of what's conscious for you and then being able to pull back and have different experiences that weren't that you weren't aware of at the time it's like accessing parts of the stream or different drops of water that you weren't uh, localized to at a certain time but wouldn't you want to give it a different name then because because if it's conscious it's like the experiencer of what i am unconsciously experiencing is not consciousness, is it? Because it's unconscious. So it feels like we'd be better off to come up, you know, to use a, a different word, like being. My being is, my subjective being is experiencing some things unconsciously and some things consciously. And, th and that makes a difference because it then allows us to have a positive version of spirituality, which is evolutionary, which doesn't see it as it already there. And then we've kind of fallen from it into disidentification and lost in separateness and but an, an optimistic evolutionary picture which sees the evolution of consciousness literally that it's evolving into more and more individual and more conscious forms in which it is conscious of more and and that feels like that fits with science and then there's a different subject but maybe there's a way then in which we can understand the psychic phenomena in a different way as an emergent phenomena that's happening on this immaterial level of soul that you and I are experiencing right now. I'm open to ideas like that. I'm also aware of the limitations of the human mind. And we're trying to understand concepts that are inherently multidimensional, abstract, using our limited physiology. One of the analogies I like is from the, the story Flatland, where you imagine yeah. people on a 2D surface and it's a, you have a sphere hitting Flatland. At yeah. first, everyone in Flatland who's in 2D land, they say, wow, look, there's a point, but really it's a sphere. And then it goes further down and, and people in 2D land see a circle, but really it's been a sphere the whole time. So anytime I get into these kinds of conversations, I'm, I'm open to the topics and I always wonder if we're looking at the point or the circle and the sphere is what is really there and we're hitting on... on uh, the best we can do, really. Definitely. But isn't that what science has been doing and what philosophy at its best sh should be doing too, and spirituality? Because the thing about what philosophy, well, I mean, what science especially, I mean, over the last 300 years, wow. I mean, just blows you away, doesn't it? What, what's, I mean, the fact that we're here doing this. Be and that's people who've gone, hang on, this isn't a point or a circle. It's a, something else. It's a sphere which is coming through. And that's why we've ended up with this incredible understanding of relativity and quantum physics. Because people have done that, have actually gone, oh, look, we can. And so I'm, I'm still optimistic that we should push these, 
these boundaries to try and to see if there's a way in which we can um, bring together all of this into one narrative, even if it's only the beginning. No, I agree that we should push, and that's, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing too. I just think we should acknowledge the inherent limitations in trying to push, that we're doing it from a vantage point that might not be able to comprehend everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they yeah, probably I, can't. I, I, I don't think there's a talk I've ever given where I didn't start with a mystery. You probably heard me when I talked wherever I was where in America yeah. when you saw me. You know, because, you know, yeah, it, it's, it's, as I think it was Aristotle said, philosophy starts and ends in wonder. And that wonder of, you know, it's, of course. And, the, and, and even when you have a, a, an understanding, it's only a, a map. It's, a, it's not the thing itself. And, and I completely with you. So I feel like we, you know, I, I feel like you know I've kind of been greedy here for your attention because what I've wanted to to share with you, having read your book and having had this conversation initiated with with Rick, um, why I kind of went, oh, I'm not sure about that stuff anymore. And um, and there's one last thing that I'd like to add into the pie, and I've done all of this very quickly, so I hope some of it's made sense. Um, and I know it's you know it, it it is a different perspective, but the thing with the psychic experiences and with the near-death experiences. For me, it feels like it's, actually, I don't think, I think really what you said earlier is right. I think that faced with the materialism, none of that's possible. Well, given that you and I certainly think not only is it possible, but, well, I think it's factual. And that's more from personal experience and doing all of the research that you've done, but I think that's right. For me, it's like, how do you explain it? Well, materialism can't, so that's out. Right, that's finished. And materialism's out anyway. I mean, it's such a, I mean, you, you know, on the cutting edge of physics, there's no materialists. But what's amazing, Tim, is, that, is when I talk to people about these topics before you go on, that the notion that materialism is out is completely contrary to where they are. Yeah, that, you're, that and, and you're completely. Are, are so radical to many people I speak of. To you, it's, it's common sense. And they wouldn't even get to the point of having discussions about ground of being because the materialist paradigm is so deeply rooted. So I just wanted to make that point. And you're, and you're so right. And thank you. Thank you for keeping my feet on the ground <laughs> because you're yeah, absolutely right, of course. And, 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 and part of what motivates me is a feeling of, look, in the mainstream, there's this heavy, limited idea now. We've replaced the old religion with this new religion. And, and it's been a progression, but it's also time we left it behind. So then it becomes what? So I'm not sure that the idealism, the idea, you know, it's all consciousness. I'm not sure that does explain things. I, I think it just offers a credible alternative with a lot of history to something that's not working. And I wonder whether this evolutionary emergence is the key so that we've got, you know, we, what, what, what we seem to know is that it's gone from matter to life to soul. And what I explored in my, in my, my TED talk was, look, this is a whole domain of existence, which is arisen. It's in, if we take the, 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 the model, you mentioned it in your book, I think, you know, we say, look, on a, on, a, on a very basic level, we need to understand this as information, which is evolving onto these different levels and which we subjectively experience with ever greater richness. Then this flow of evolving information has reached the level of non-material information. Well, it's essentially, it's non-material anyway. Materiality is a level of information. 
And that that information, which is what you and I are trading in right now in terms of concepts and ideas in a non-physical domain called the psyche or the soul or whatever you give it, that's now arisen. That's an emergent phenomena, which means that part of the universe is that non-material information. And I suspect personally that you and I are connecting right now on that level of non-material information, non-locally, and we're having minor psychic phenomena happening all the time. And the, the, most of the so-called anomalies are to do with how that domain interacts with itself and how it reacts with this. And that it's a evolutionary emergent phenomena which has come through the evolution of higher levels of subjectivity. I'm not sure that's incompatible. I do, uh, with yeah, what I'm saying. I, yeah, I, I think it's just a, maybe a more descriptive way because I, I really didn't get into the mechanisms of how it all works. I just kind of said, well, a, a, more, a framework that looks like idealism could account for these phenomena without explaining mechanisms. Yeah. I don't think I understand what the mechanisms are. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's, that's definitely possible that that's how it works. But what you described is a sequence of, of evolution. Yeah. And what I would question, just because I don't know, is, is when that uh, other domain of experience occurs in the chain in order for the psychic phenomena to occur. Does it have to come at the end or is, that ha is, it, is, is it happening um, at a non-physical level before or earlier in the chain? Well, I think all of it is non-physical to begin with, I mean, yeah. you know, and it's becoming physical. But I would say that consciousness has evolved. This, the experience of, of, of conscious and unconscious, that, that break in subjectivity, uh, has, probably, it has evolved with, with life. And that the reason it's evolved is because with the, with the arising of life time streams, forms, evolving forms in life, you get for the very first time, you get an agenda. And the agenda is that the life, those forms don't hold together for very long and they die. And so the agenda is to not die and to reproduce and to eat and to not be eaten and all those things. Now, the, what's happening at that level is that subjectively that particular individual is receiving huge amounts of information, some of which really matters to that agenda and most of it doesn't and that what develops is the ability to prejudice some information over other information and that prejudicing of some information is what we call consciousness we're experiencing it now where i the information i prejudice or i i, I focus on or i pay attention to that is conscious and the rest becomes unconscious and that that's developed from very 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 simple beginnings into full conscious sentience and then from that it feels like everything, well, I've described everything as living in relationship to the past, the accumulating past, governing everything. Once you've got consciousness, you can actually be conscious of the past. So you've got memory. And what's interesting about that idea of being conscious of the past is that you're no longer experiencing something which is actually there in the, in the moment. You're experiencing an image of something. So if I think of the tree outside my door it's not actually there now in front of me like you said it's not my experience so it's only an image and then you've got images so that it feels to me is where you have the beginning of populating this non-material realm that's the evolution of this of the realm of psyche or the imagination which will take on its own um it will become a whole ecology 
like the ecology of life started and just then the ecology of psyche will also and it becomes somewhere where we can where we experience all the time and where we survive after the death of the body so the way i i've tended to think about all this is that the the body our physiology is the lens through which our more unbounded consciousness is having an experience so as that physiology has evolved and become more complex it's capable of examining things like the past and the future in ways that it couldn't have done in a less complex form so i think what you're saying is in this evolutionary process we're sort of creating um more of a of a non-physical realm through our own ability to have i'm using the word consciousness but through our own ability to have a, a new type of awareness through our com complexity. Why? Why, if there is a vast consciousness, does it limit itself to a, a lesser filter? Doesn't it make more sense to think that it's evolving up into that greater consciousness rather than deliberately, for some reason, disassociating itself or forming some limited thing which it doesn't experience itself well i think the evidence that there is some kind of limitation happening <clears throat> excuse me comes from i think near-death experiences when the brain is, is gotten out of the way and people experience what they would call a broader enriched reality without being able to do it well with words also people describe uh with psychedelics that they experience a broader reality and that seems to occur with reductions in brain activity so there seems to be a restrictive re mechanism of the brain that's actually holding us back from something broader so that's where that's why I've kind of gone in that direction rather than others. Is that's the science is is at least to me suggesting there's a broader reality that we are being restricted from through our physiology. Okay, that and I agree with that. By the way, I think that's really insightful, and I thought your stuff, particularly on psychedelics, was very interesting. Um, and all of it, you know, definitely that's right. And anyone who's had mystical experiences knows that firsthand. The question I've got, though, is a different question. I, I, I think that's right. And I think when, because this is a less emergent level. So when the less emergent level becomes the more emergent level, which I now am, takes off. So, you know, I leave the body, I take ayahuasca or whatever, then poof, this gets, you know, just go to sleep, go into meditation, calm it down, off you go. That, okay, I'm okay with. It's the more metaphysical thing, the idea that there is already this consciousness which is limiting itself through me and which then throws me off and can go off again that feels now to me like it doesn't make any sense compared with there is a potentiality reaching out to be this bigger thing which has now reached the level of immaterial soul which can go off into these greater things beyond the body because it's emerged through and transcended the body and the body is, a, is, a, is, is the foundation upon which it has arisen rather than some filter or limit into which it's fallen. So it's a more optimistic growth model rather than a pessimistic devolution, fall, confinement, disassociation type model. So my question for you would be about the nature of that potentiality you're speaking of. Yeah. Is it at a less evolved state? It is not, um, it, it doesn't have within it the evolution that it's moving towards uh, to, to me i would try and define it as uh as something without any qualities other than being 
which is in the process. And, and the, when I look around me, I see all that there's one quality that everything's got, including me. Everything's being on every level of emergence, right down to the every level, right the way up. It all has the quality of being. And then it just, you know, I just, I look and I go, oh, that's interesting. And, and everything that I see physically exists in a nothing. Everything's in space, everything's in a nothing. And everything I imagine is in a nothing. And so it's like everything exists within the nothing, which is, but has no qualities. And if you put that at the beginning, you haven't done any sort of, you haven't kind of pulled the rabbit out of your hat. You've gone, there is the potentiality. Now it's essentially the, so it's the same narrative that I used to explore with the idealist model. Right. But now it feels like I don't need the rabbit. Now I can just go, look, there's a potentiality for everything. What is reality? You know, oh, it's a big consciousness. Oh, all right, where did that come from? That's just gone. What about if you went, well, it's the potentiality for everything. What else could it be? Realizing itself as progressively everything. Right. And, and the, the, where we are right now is, in a, is part of that process, which is leading towards ever greater, greater realization. Well, if the potentiality is a form of being, not a form could, of being, it is being, it is being itself. Yeah. One could argue that that beingness has to it a sense of subjectivity because it is being, it, it is, there's some sense of experiencing within that being. Is that a, is that a quality of being? No, that's a quality. So what I'm suggesting is that the being is realizing itself as becoming, which is time. So that, and, and it's right here, right now, because you know, you sink back far enough. There it is. There's the emptiness. You are the emptiness. Everything is. Everything is that. And that's this great formless thing which holds everything as one. It's just amazing. And then it's realizing itself as this other thing which is always here, which is this flow of evolving forms. And through them, and that's where I think subject, subjectivity and objectivity, which will become consciousness and experience on this level, mm -hmm. those are dual. That's part of becoming. That's part of past and future, this and that, subject-object. The non-dual is truly non-dual. It it's just is. And it's in this process of becoming. It's not conscious. It's not anything. It's, not it's, not, it's on everything. So it's unconscious because it's on everything. But it is becoming, and this is the, it's becoming more all the time. So it's becoming more conscious and more conscious and more conscious until right now, you know, we can be not only conscious of the world, conscious of this imaginary space of the psyche, we can be conscious even of being. And at that point, that oneness of being from which it's arising becomes conscious of itself through you and through me. And then suddenly there's like, wow, I am the, then, then through this particular individual, the universe goes, oh, I am the universe. And that feels like, oh, that actually accounts for what's happened to me on this strange journey. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm actually seeing a lot of compatibility with what I'm saying, and I'm wondering if we're just using different words for it. Because yeah, I think, call, I think it's a, it is a lot to do with words, Mark. Yeah, yeah to, to, because to call, basically you're saying the ground of all reality is being, is a being of potentiality or a potentiality that you would describe as being, which, I mean, could Emptiness be, which could contain everything, maybe that. Which could contain everything, which, 
it, it sounds to me a lot like idealism, depending on how one defines it. It, it, like, it is, because that's where it's come from. What, what, yeah. what I'm doing is reworking the perennial philosophy. But yeah. I think the words matter. And, and, and for years, I, when I started doing this 20 years ago, not this particular thing, I was writing about Gnostic Christianity, and I was describing the ground as unconscious consciousness because <laughs> I wanted it to become conscious. And then I shifted, and then I said, well, it's awareness, which is unconscious, that becomes conscious. And now finally I've just gone, this word's the wrong bloody word. Right. And what happens when we use it, and the only I used it for all those decades. Why? Because I read it in books. And so that's why, you know, big C, consciousness, mm. big C. Like, so that's what I did, big consciousness, big C. And then I finally gone, what the fuck is that consciousness with a big C? Does, does, is it even a noun? Or have we reified a verb? Is mm. consciousness something we do? Is, is there a thing at all? Yeah. Or is it something I'm conscious of this? I'm conscious of you. It's a thing. I'm conscious of the psyche. I'm conscious of the body. I'm, and that there is no, th what, and then I can be conscious of being. And on the deepest level, when I'm conscious of being, I can call that consciousness. But only when I'm conscious of it, when I'm not conscious of it, it's just being. <laughs> so it's right. not in bed. It'll just be being. But right now it's consciousness in that sense. And so, I, so it feels like if we want to get greater clarity, and especially if we want to unite these deep perennial wisdom with modern science, we need to pay attention to these words because they will end up mattering and they'll yeah. lead us astray. Yeah, I agree. Because consciousness is being used in multiple contexts and there, there are different ways of, of differentiating that need to occur. But the, my approach has been, before we can even have this conversation, so much of our brain power in the world is, is devoted to proving the materialist paradigm or just working within that framework. So until we get our smart minds out of that area, I don't think there will be enough of us to try to work out these details. Hallelujah to that. And, and your book, which I would definitely recommend as a fantastic compendium, even though I've disagreed with a bit of the philosophy, which you would expect. Hey, I disagree with myself, let alone <laughs> everyone else. It, it is, it's a, it is a, it, it's a great compendium, you know, an updated compendium for our times of just why we should take these things seriously. And, and you, know, you cover them all really, and you cover them all really well because the world is far stranger than the mainstream wants to admit. Although I do fancy that the mainstream itself is not, you know, it's small actually. I think most people, you get behind the curtains and they've had all sorts of strange experiences, mm. really. I, I've found that in my journey. But in, in my circles, so many people are closed off to this. So right. at least in my reality, it's the, the majority is kind of in this materialist worldview. And good for you for having the courage to make your journey and to be able to question that and take that out into your community and to the people who read your book and all the people you're talking to online and and being able to to help open open this question up which you know allows us to even have the conversation well i think i think your ideas are really important and i hope that they will be explored more and also as we develop our science to be able to test these things more i mean as you're speaking i'm, I'm just thinking about some of the implications of quantum physics and how that could apply to this potentiality yeah. that might lie at the the core of all being how yeah. we can actually test these ideas.
Yeah. That's yeah. going to be important. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's, that's brilliant. And, and, and what we, you know, like you said, you know, we're, we're all limited. We're only here for a blink of an eye. It's an infinite universe. You know, who, who's got the, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe the wisest thing would just be to shut one's mouth, but there's, uh, there's a foolish, there's a heroic foolishness in trying to push on the understanding an inch so that the next generation get it slightly better. And it feels like when I did my TEDx thing at Berkeley, I, I thought, damn it, I'm just going to, I just, it feels like there is a new understanding. And, and I think what, what's happened for you, I suspect has been motivated by exactly that. And there's more and more people because a huge part of life is being cut away and we need it. We need, we need to be able to bring it back without losing all the new wonders that, that we've got through the scientific method. Yeah, I think it's absolutely critical that we do that because the way I, I think many of us live is based on our view of reality and view on whether life has meaning or not. And yeah. that informs our behaviors. So I think to explore these core issues is critical for the world. Doesn't it? Because if you know, it's like, you look at the materialist paradigm and you actually, even if, you know, I don't probably people don't think about it, but underneath what it's saying is, you know, look, your clever monkeys clinging to a planet in the middle of nowhere for two minutes and then you're gone. So the natural place to end up is uh, pretty, you know, like, well, it's materialism in every sense of that word, isn't it? That's where I was. That's where I was. Nothing matters. I was a college tennis player. I'd win a tennis match. In the back of my mind, I'd say, wait, Mark, why do you care? If you were being intellectually honest, you wouldn't even care. Yeah. And I think that's a struggle that many people are having, probably without realizing it, that if you buy into the mainstream narrative, Meaning is difficult to come by. Okay, so let, this is where we should end our conversation. But I want to have a just sort of throw some meaning at you, see what you make of it. The reason that I'm questioning the the traditional model, sorry, the, leave materialism. Uh, the reason I've ended up questioning my own the spiritual model is I've found that it is inher- it has some inherent negativity in it, which undercuts the meaning of human existence. So it's already perfect. We've fallen from God's consciousness already. We're in a whirlpool. We're caught in a trap. We're in, the body is a tomb. We're in Maya. It's all illusion. God is dreaming. All those metaphors. And your job is to realize you don't really exist. Get out of this. Realize that time's an illusion. Nothing really matters. And get off back to the oneness. That arose in the Axel Age, 2,500 years ago in a lot of places, those sort of ideas. And they were a breakthrough of a new level of understanding and a new level of experience. But now they look pretty negative, I think. And, and, I, and, and I feel this attack constantly on our humanity. It's like your mere existence, Mark, is a problem. You shouldn't be a separate self. You shouldn't have attachments. You know, I have attachments to my daughter. I'm buggered, you know. It's like I've got, uh, you know, I've got emotions. I've got, I think. One shouldn't think, one should be silent. All of this negative spirituality, especially that's come shooting in from India, of which I was a big part, now looks like, oh, that doesn't fit my actual experience. My actual experience is really optimistic. It's about love and awakening and wonder and a feeling that something amazing is happening here, despite all the horrors. And what I love about the meaning this story I've been trying to introduce in this conversation is it's captures that positive spirit for me it goes look there is a there is an unfolding that's been going on which has got us here and it's not stopped 
and we become more and more we become conscious of more conscious of more and right now more and more of us and i know this because this is what most of what i do is experiential work with people are becoming conscious of the oneness of being and in that we're making a transition from individuals to what i call unividuals individuals conscious of unity and with it with the sense of oneness comes this enormous love because the, the love is how the oneness feels and then somehow it feels like what i want to say to your friends is that there is so much meaning in your life and you aren't a mistake and you haven't fallen from everything you are the universe individuating and then possibly individuating into the universe recognizing itself through you and we're all that and when that happens there's this enormous love and with the sense of love comes this huge desire to serve and you just realize there's so much meaning you're wading through it and that is what inspires me to do all the crazy things i do well you raise a, a lot of really important points and things that i've considered in my journey because i think there can be a tendency to move from materialistic nihilism to spiritual nihilism very quickly beautifully put. so that is this is something that i've had to think about a lot because i i've leaned nihilistic my whole life and i i, I kind of end up where you are which is that it's, it's almost, it's, it's, I think, too strict of an interpretation to view the spiritual Unitarian view as nihilistic. And instead, there is deep meaning behind the individuation of, of this universal being or potential, whatever we want to call it. And I think the reason that I, I come out there, I've always been, I've been very tough on myself not to just go in directions like that because it sounds comforting. I don't want to just believe it to, in order to rationalize my existence. And that's been something I always fight. Well, that sounds comforting. And do I just want to believe it because it's comforting? I think there's actual evidence to support what you're saying, which comes again from some of these transcendent experiences, which I haven't personally had. But as a researcher, objectively, this is what people report in near-death experiences, psychedelic experiences, meditation experiences. They come back talking about deep meaning and purpose, and they don't talk about nihilism. So when they come back into their body, so many times they've chosen to come back in their body, they say it's because they wanted to do something. So that's where I come out is that we, we, I don't think we live in a materialist world. We live in something else that actually does have meaning. And I think that that can really transform people's lives. And I know that personally because I've been on the other side of this. Fantastic. Beautiful. Well, I hope so by some magic and in my experience, the universe has become magic. That we're brought together and that we get the chance to share a transcendental experience. Because that's the other side of what I, my passion is. The biggest side is actually to just step into that and to, to experience it together. So I hope one day that somehow it arranges itself in such a way that we're looking in each other's eyes going, wow, here we are. <laughs> the universe looking at itself. What do you know? That would be fun. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Thank you so much for having this conversation, Mark. Thank you for your generosity with your time. Thank you for all you're doing in the world and your beautiful soul and um, go well. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a reassuring feeling that there's people out there doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, Tim. And thanks for all that you do. You've had an influence on, on the way that I look at the world and I appreciate all of your ideas and have a lot to think about myself. Cool. As all always. Right. <laughs> Speak again, my friend. Okay, for sure. Thanks, Tim.